Hi, Journey. How y'all doing today? Really, really good to be together with all of you, every single one of you, to celebrate God and what he's wanting to do in us and then, of course, through us. Just a couple of weeks back, I was working away over in my office when I got a somewhat panicked text from my wife, Dana, asking me if I had any idea where her car keys were. She was trying really hard to get to work, but her efforts to be on time to work were being greatly stymied by her inability to locate her car keys, and I texted her back, and I was kind, but I said, honey, I don't have any idea where your car keys are. I haven't seen them. I haven't used your car keys, and uh, I told her very kindly that I would have guessed that they were on the counter in uh, what we all refer to as like the drop zone, right? That place where like you're coming through the door, you got all this stuff, and it sort of drops in that one spot, the drop zone. You know, Dana's always got armloads of stuff, big old purse. It's like this big and plops down on the counter there and all the other stuff, keys, et cetera. She confirmed via text that the key was not in the drop zone, that she was now late for work officially. I said, well, honey, the extra key is in that, this is all via text, right? The extra key is in the drawer and you can get underway, grab that. And then I suddenly had this flashback, this recollection, that when I had gotten home the night before, about 10 o'clock, I had a late meeting the night before, and how I remembered seeing our son Dylan out in the driveway with the key to Dana's car, opening the car, all the doors, searching frantically for something that he had left in the car. Now, at the time, at 10 o'clock at night, when I was just getting home from work, I hadn't thought much of seeing Dylan out in Dana's car. I do know that Dylan found what he was looking for in her car. He followed behind me very shortly inside the house, and so I had this thought, I wonder what Dylan did with Dana's key. And uh, now Dana was safely on her way to work, and I didn't have to do this, but I got this idea, I'm going to figure out where this key is. And so in an effort to do that, I pick up the phone, and I called Dylan's school. And I explained to the secretary, I'm sure the secretary just loves this, right? Hi, my name is Brian Hopkins, and uh, well, my son Dylan, I think, lost my wife's car. I'm sh- she's going like, what in the world? Can we save this for after 3.20? In the-? I was like, yeah, but, like, could you by any chance have Dylan call me? And she's like, well... Sure, sort of reluctantly, you know, like this isn't really official school business, is it? I was like, yeah, yeah, please. So about five minutes later, Dylan is diving me up from the school. I answer the phone. Dylan, hey, how's it going, bud? Remember how you were looking in mom's car last night for whatever you were looking for? And well, now mom can't find her car key. So that means I think that you had the key last. Do you know where you put it? And there's a sort of pause, you know. I put it on the counter where the key always goes, dad, he answered, because he knows the drop zone, huge purse, all that. He knows where that goes. I said, well, uh, mom looked there and it's not there. And then what Dylan said next is like, if you know our son Dylan, this is just classic Dylan, just cracked me up. He said, well, I'm pretty sure, dad, that I put it on the counter, but did you check everywhere else in the house? (laughs) That is just Dylan I said, yes, uh, mom has checked everywhere else in the house, still can't find the key. Dylan said, well, dad, if you need me to leave school and come home and help you find the key, I'd be glad. I said, well, well, we'll just look for it today when you get home from school. Now, what happened next really stunned me, actually. I pressed the end key, hanging up that phone call, and I instantly felt this sense of anger come over my life. And I found myself saying to myself, Brian, this is all your fault. 
you shouldn't have been so stupid last night, Brian. You should have made sure that when your 10-year-old son Dylan followed you into the house at after 10 o'clock at night that he had locked down his car and put the key right back where it belongs so that it would be where she needed it to be. Why didn't you use your brain, Brian? This is what I'm saying to myself. Why didn't you use your brain, Brian? Why weren't you more responsible, Brian? Why didn't you help teach your son to be more responsible, Brian? This is all your fault. You're so stupid, Brian. And, and I, like, it caught me so off guard. I was like, whoa. I'm actually angry at myself for allowing Dylan to misplace the key to Dana's car. I crossed over to the dark side, not about him or not about anyone, about me. This is, this is my thing, my fault, my bad, my responsibility, my sin. And I just wonder how often that you do the very same thing. How often do you get angry at yourself for one thing or another? For example, you wake up early on a balmy Saturday morning, you look outside and decide that it is finally the perfect day to fix the broken spot on the deck, right? That spot that's been bugging you like for months and so you gather your tools, you head outside and with, within like five minutes, you've smashed your finger with the hammer trying to pry up one of the bad boards off the deck and you swore, right? None of you use profanity, but maybe you thought a swear word. And here's what you say to yourself. How stupid can you be? How stupid can you be? I should have hired a professional to do this. I have no idea what I'm doing. I barely started. I've already screwed up. And now look at my, ow. Or try this one. You just started on a new job that requires a whole bunch of travel all over the country. And your friend Beth has called you several times, leaving several messages about getting together with you real soon. You keep thinking that you'll get around to returning Beth's calls, but the longer you put it off, the more guilty you feel, especially because you know that Beth is in between jobs and struggling greatly. And you notice that after a few weeks, Beth just stops calling, and now you're really, really mad at yourself. And here's what you say to yourself, I am a terrible friend. I'm a terrible friend. And you think, I'd really like to reconnect with Beth, but I don't know how to rebuild the bridge to her at this point. I'm such a terrible friend. Or how about one of these? I can't believe that I missed that foul shot. If I'd have made it, it would have tied the game and sent it into overtime. I'm the reason that we lost. I'm so stupid. How about this one? I don't know why I was so stupid and sold that stock. It split two months ago and continues to ascend into the stratosphere. Why? Why am I so inept? at managing finances. How about this one? How in the world did I manage to ruin the entire prime rib? I would wreck the centerpiece of the meal the night we're hosting my husband's boss for dinner. I'm so pathetic, I can't cook. And we hear the word anger And almost immediately our minds like race to some object, a person, a situation, a thing that causes anger to well up inside of us. And most of the time people have anger against someone or something else, right? But I want you to hear me. Anger is no less anger when it's directed right here at you. It's no less anger when it's pointed right back at yourself. And what do we know about anger? Well, it's the emotional and physical response of fevered, Displeasure. Whenever we encounter someone or something that we judge, 
to be wrong, unfair, unjust. And what happens when we get angry at ourselves is we've decided that we're the ones who are guilty of the wrong. We're the ones guilty of the unkindness. We're the ones guilty of the injustice. We're the ones guilty of the careless act. And we judge ourselves for having done something wrong. And then we feel the strong need to punish ourselves, often again and again and again and again for the wrong. You turn your wrath against you when you're angry at yourself. Your wrath turned right here. And the Bible doesn't necessarily talk directly about self-anger, but it does address some of the things that can be toward the root cause of self-anger. I phrased them as questions that I think the Lord would have all of us reflect upon whenever we find ourselves crossing over to the dark side of anger right here at ourselves. This one first. Have you taken hold of God's forgiveness in this matter? When you find yourself getting really, really angry at no one but yourself, ask yourself that question. Have I taken hold of God's forgiveness for the thing, this thing that I'm so incredibly angry with myself about? Have I taken real, authentic, actual hold of God's forgiveness? In the case that you're angry with yourself because you've actually sinned against God, your anger at yourself is punishment for the guilt your sin has incurred upon you, right? You're really mad at yourself because while your conscience tells you that you deserve punishment, you don't actually believe that God's judgment and God's forgiveness can be simultaneously poured out on you. You don't think God's capable of that. No, God, you, you can't really do it. Though he says it again and again and again, I, I actually can. God says, I can actually do whatever I want to do. You don't believe him. You don't believe that his judgment and forgiveness can be simultaneously poured out on you. And so you take matters into your own hand. I, I must take myself to task for this. And please hear me. There's only one way to properly dispel anger at yourself for any sin, commission, omission, doesn't matter. Ready? You confess it. And you know what happens when you confess it? God forgives you. You confess it, and God forgives you. It's just that simple. You confess it, and God forgives you. It's the message of the entirety of the scriptures. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is Paul writing. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's all of us, by the way. And I'm the worst of them all. This is Paul writing about himself. I'm the wor- in case you're wondering who the worst sinner in the world is, Paul's saying, it's me. My hand's in the air. I'm the worst of them all. But even though I'm the worst sinner in the entire world, God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, you you can't top my sin. I was a bad, bad dude. I killed Christians. That was Paul's work. He killed Christians and thought he was doing God a favor killing Christians. And so he says, God saved me. God forgave me. And he forgives you because he loves you. 
and he loves you exactly the way you are, and he deeply desires to live in relationship with you. And because God is perfect and holy and righteous, our sin severs us from relationship and fellowship with him. But when any of us, it doesn't matter how dark our stuff is, when any of us merely confesses our sin, he stands ready to forgive that fast in an instant. And that's everything that Jesus' death on the cross is about. He took upon, Jesus took upon himself all of the punishment for all of our sins so that God could forgive us. We just show up and admit, Jesus, I need, desperately need your forgiveness. And every single time he responds in nothing but forgiving love and he sets us right with him. His forgiveness, God's forgiveness always stands ready for our confession right now. But when we don't think that God can simultaneously pour out his judgment and his forgiveness and we get angry at ourselves, it really is a self-imposed death sentence. Because we don't think what Jesus did on the cross for us is enough. And he's telling us today, it, it is. Like, believe me, trust me, please. It absolutely is enough. And any hope that we have for forgiveness rests solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Upon whom our death sentence was pronounced and carried out. So that your and my guilt and judgment could be entrusted to no one except the mighty Messiah. Not, not you. Not you, him. And so God comes today and he says, will you just take hold of Christ's forgiveness and would you just leave your anger, like leave it behind, your anger at yourself, just leave it behind. Second question I think God would have us reflect on when we're angry at ourselves is this one. Are you venting your regret for failing to achieve a long-pursued desire? Is, is that what's happening because it doesn't matter what it is that sets us off on our self-angry rant. It all has this in common. Your failure means that you think that you won't get the good things that you so badly want. You've blown it too badly to ever get the good things that you really, really have wanted for a long, long time. And so you get angry at yourself, and in that anger at yourself, you're saying, you know, I had an opportunity to get something that I really wanted that would have been really, really cool, but I threw it away. I misbehaved. And now I hate myself, actually, for flushing the chance to get what I've always wanted. But you see, there's this dirty little lie that drives that whole self-angry mess, and it's this. We think, don't we, that we can somehow control the whole entire world and guarantee that we get what we want every single time. That's the lie. I think I can control the entire world, and I can guarantee that I will get what I want every single time. Time. But what happens to that little fantasy world? It comes crashing down in about 10 and a half seconds right around our ears, doesn't it? And it leaves us in this place of, place of great self-loathing, along with a really haunting case of, if only I had dot, 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 fill in the blank. If only I had, or if only I hadn't. See, because what happens is we get blinded to this underlying urge that we all carry to control our own happiness. And when that dream gets dashed, we get mad right here most often. 
And here again is God's prescription. If we want to rid ourselves of the self-anger for failing to achieve some long-held desire, again, it's confession. Confession is the only way. You come to God in a moment of brokenness and you tell him, I know that my desire to control my world rules me. It's become sometimes like God to me. And God, I I just got to repent. I just got to come clean of that. And again, this amazing thing happens where our repentance meets up with his forgiveness. And God sets about dethroning that idol of having to control everything in your life. And he forgives and he says, would you just, just trust me? Just trust me. Would you just also be content in the myriad good things that God allows us to experience every single day? No more regret. No more regret. I heard a guy say it this way the the other day. He says, I'm working hard all the time to shoot out those rearview mirrors in my life. Right? The regret rearview mirrors where I'm always looking back going like, woulda, coulda, shoulda, why didn't I shoot out? Those rearview mirrors, great word picture. Another question God would have us reflect upon when we cross into the dark side of anger at ourselves is have you been trying to live under your own standards of righteousness? Have you been trying to live under your own standard of righteousness? You're writing your own code, basically. You're writing your own righteous standard and the self-angry person in a moment of honesty, if you're honest, would just say yes. Absolutely. I've been trying to live up to my own righteous code. Maybe I've been trying to live up to someone else's standard, someone else's expectation for me. You've adopted their standard as your standard. And you expect a certain level of performance from yourself. You've set unrealistic, perfectionistic goals. And every time you fail to measure up and fail to measure up and fail to measure up and fail to measure up. And when you don't measure up, you you get angry right here. I can't ever, why can't I, I'm so. And you're on this performance treadmill just running, 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 running. And all of that sounds strangely reminiscent of something the Apostle Paul declared in Philippians chapter 3. Where Paul writes this, I once thought these things, if you read above verse 7 sometime, Paul's talking about his performance and his pedigree. He had fantastic performance, he thought, for God. He was on quite a trajectory for the Lord killing Christians. It was like resume material, right? And he had quite a pedigree, like he was the Jew of all Jews. He was quite a guy. And so he says, I once thought those things, my performance and my pedigree, were so, so valuable. But now I consider them worthless, strong word, because of what Christ has done. In light of everything Jesus Christ has done, my performance and my pedigree, it's worthless. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. When you compare all that stuff with knowing Christ, it doesn't even hold a candle, he says. For his sake, Christ's sake, I have discarded everything else, my performance, my pedigree, I've thrown it out, counting it all as garbage, great word, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. That's the goal. I just want to gain Christ. I just want to become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, my performance, but rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. 
I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul's saying God's the one you please. His law and his law alone is the standard that we must measure ourselves against. And when we do, we find, oh my gosh, can't measure up to that. Must have Jesus. Right? I can't hit God's perfect target apart from Christ. And God says, stop running around trying to assume my role. Let me be God. Let me set the standard and let me provide the way for you to even attain the standard. And this happens to us all the time. We make a mistake at work because we think we must be flawless. I must be the best worker without mistake. But that kind of thinking is rejecting God's law and establishing your own law. I must be perfect. God says, no, no. The person who gets angry at themselves because they didn't persuade their spouse to go to the doctor earlier and their spouse dies and it's all my fault, if only I would. That's assuming the role only intended for God. And submitting our lives to any law or any performance that isn't God's is the recipe for a self-anger disaster every single time. Leave it to me, God says. Just leave it to me. Last question I think God would have us reflect upon when we find ourselves in the dark side of self-anger. Have you somehow declared yourself as your own judge? Have you somehow declared yourself as your own judge? And here's the right answer. If you're self-angry, yes. Of course I have. It's one of the things that's at the very root of us being angry with ourselves. You've placed yourself in the role of judge, you convene the court, you prosecute the case, you render the guilty verdict upon yourself, and then you express your anger toward yourself by punishing yourself for being found guilty. And God says, I alone am your judge. My son alone is the one who forgives. My son alone is the one who bears your penalty, and it isn't about you. It isn't about what you did. It's not about what you didn't do. It is all about Jesus Christ, your Savior, your forgiver, your life giver. It's all about him. Let it remain about him. And it's into these very self-aware moments, moments I hope kind of like these, Moments when we're asking the kinds of questions that we're asking today that I think God often reaches real deep into our hearts and helps us come to know his love and his grace and his forgiveness with a fresh relevance and a fresh power because it's sort of one thing to sort of know that those exist out here and it's quite another to appropriate his love and grace and forgiveness into our lives, isn't it? Where it actually meets up with what's going on right here, well, doggone it, I'm really angry at myself. And the bottom line is this. God doesn't want you to be angry with yourself anymore. Because he made a way for that not to be the case. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses you from all unrighteousness. And here's what he says in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. My child... God of the universe looking on you, calling you my 
child, maybe some of you haven't been called my child in a very, very long time. God looks on you, my child, my son, my daughter, my child. Your sins are forgiven. By the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. My child, your sins are forgiven. Get that? And it's like God reaches down and turns off the endless drip of unforgiveness and the endless drip of regret and the endless drip of our own standard of righteousness, that, the code we've written, the endless drip of our judgment of ourselves. And he just showers us with unconditional forgiveness again and again and again, more and more and more and more daily. His grace daily cascades over us, a lot like Niagara Falls, if you picture Niagara Falls. There it is. Cascading, cascading. My son, your sins are forgiven. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. Psalm 103.12 puts it this way. He, that's God, has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Isaiah 1.18, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. And we're dinking around with this. Let's like settle it. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Isaiah 38.17, for you've rescued me from death and forgiven all all my sins. Isaiah 43, 25, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Never think of them again. Isaiah 44, 22, I've swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. You don't have to live in a self-angry mess because Jesus Christ paid the price to set you free from all that. And then Micah chapter 7, verse 19. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. And you know what that is? That's the gospel, isn't it? And oh, how we require the gospel if we ever hope to be set free from anger at anyone, including ourselves. We require the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, how we need him. Would you take your things and Set them aside, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. You just go to quiet reflection with the Lord, if you would. Could I just ask you, what's God wanting to say to you today in answer to those questions? regarding the anger that you carry toward you. What does God want to say? 
Have you taken hold of God's forgiveness about that thing? That thing that you just, you get so angry at yourself, it just burns you down every single time. Have you taken hold of God's forgiveness in that matter? It's one thing to know about God's forgiveness, but have you realized his forgiveness? Are you venting your regrets for failing to achieve a long-pursued desire? What's God wanting to say to you about the regret deal? What's God wanting to say to you about this question? Have you been trying to live under your own standard of righteousness? this one? Have you somehow declared yourself as your own judge? And we just take those questions and take them beyond this time and reflect on those with the Lord. Listen and say, Lord, what, what is your insight for me about these? God, what is it that you're drawing my attention to so that I can be set free from the self-anger that I'm carrying? The self-anger that just eats me up. And then for some, here's what's true. The beginning of the end of your self-anger starts today by you stepping into Jesus' salvation and forgiveness once and for all. It starts today. When you lay hold of the full breadth of Christ's forgiveness for everything. And if that's you, you can take the really bold step of trusting Christ with your whole heart, your whole life by praying along with me. I invite you to pray with me. Just say, Jesus, absolutely I'm a sinner. God, you know better than anyone else how badly I've blown it. And I keep trying to prove to you that I'm good enough, but I need you, Jesus. And so here's my heart, here's my life, here's my everything, and even all my gratitude. You have all of my gratitude, Jesus, for everything that you've done, for everything that you are. Here I am. Here I am. And if you're someone who's crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ today, I want you to know that's the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more. And it's such a big deal to us around here. We invite people to tell us when they make that decision. It's a private deal. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. If you prayed with me just then to give your heart and life to Jesus, would you just be real brave right now and slip your hand up and lock eyes with me? You can do that right now. Yeah, yeah. You right there and you right there. Absolutely both of you you can do that right now yeah and you too and you too yeah and you too right there absolutely yes way to go 
you right there. Yes, absolutely. You don't have to carry it anymore. Jesus has forgiven you once for all. Jesus, we're just thrilled at what you're doing in these lives, all of us today, especially these who are coming to faith, crossing the line of faith in you. It is astounding. We get to share in your redemption. Thank you. Thank you for drawing these to yourself, for breathing truth across their lives, their souls. For inviting them to step into life the way you intended life with you. And Jesus, we really, really desire to get this anger thing right. And it's complicated and difficult, especially because what's true is that you invented, you created this whole anger deal. You made it. It was born in your heart and then you set it into us. And like so many other things, we've sort of messed it up. And so what we ask is that you would help us reclaim and redeem this bit about anger that you've given us. And it, it serves a purpose, a redemptive kingdom of God purpose. And that we would lay hold of that piece of anger and that the rest of it, the sin that we just just fall off the edge. It just fall off the edge, especially Jesus when it comes to anger at ourselves. That you would be our all sufficiency. The one who paid the price loved us, the one who loved us enough to pay our price. And that we'd live in that hope, Jesus. That it's you and it's only you and it's all about you and we just want to ride your coattails, Jesus, please. And that you would do a heart work in us and on and on and on so that we're more like 